All right, um, let's go now to the Word of God and uh, turn our attention to His Word. The Word of God for the people of God. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for their future, that, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The Word of God for the people of God. Well, I preached on hell last week, and this week we're starting a series on money. Uh, the only thing worse than preaching on hell is preaching on money. So uh, we thought we would just grab it uh, together. Um, I say that very tongue-in-cheek. I'm very excited, and not for reasons that you might think um, as a preacher, uh, to address this over the next few weeks. I'll be preaching today. Chris will um, pick it up next week, and then I'll come back the week after that. So uh, we need prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his presence and understanding and power to repent and to walk in faith. Our great and glorious God, we thank you that... There is no one more generous than you. There is no one more kind, more loving, more charitable, more merciful. And so, Father, we pray this morning that you would use your word to make us more like you because you are perfection. To make us like you is to free us from the sin of our humanity. And so, Father, we beg you that your spirit would come and you would meet each of us where we are. I thank you for the work that you've been doing in my heart and life throughout the last few weeks as I've been pouring over your word in this topic. Father, I thank you for the changes. I, I thank you for the challenges. I thank you, Father, for different perspectives and, Father, even for different hope. And, God, I pray that you would... Use this time together for us to, to see new things. To be freed from our greed and our materialism and our selfishness. To be freed from our fear and to trust you as a loving heavenly Father that invites us to so much more life than we're willing to live. Oh God, would you open our hearts that we might be known as generous people. That the world might know the kind of God that you are because of what we give and our time and our resources. How we open up our homes. How we call nothing our own because we know that everything is a gift from you. And it's owned by you and not us. Oh God, would you just create a Holy Spirit movement of generosity at downtown church. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. May we bathe in it this morning, even as we come to hear your word. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've told you many times that 
the last seven years have challenged me and changed me in ways that I cannot count. And when I came to this topic of money, um, I found that it's no exception here. Because the beautiful power of a multi-ethnic, multi-class church body is that we begin to see the sins of our culture. And we can't see the sins of our culture until we get either completely out of our culture or around other cultures that we love and respect. And so, as I have contemplated and and, and studied this text as well as many other texts, what I'm beginning to see is much of my preconceived, I guess, beliefs about money and generosity and stewardship is baggage from growing up in white, and I want to say middle class, but primarily wealthy evangelical church. And what I began to see is that when I was... Uh, Growing up in white, upper-class, evangelical church, the messages that at least I was receiving um, were that when it comes to money, that it's not as much what Scripture says, but it's, it's more of a political thing, and it's kind of Republican against Democrat, and of course the Republicans are right. It's more of conservative and liberal, and of course, the the understanding is that that the conservatives are right. And so when we talked about money, when I heard sermons about money, um, it was primarily from the Old Testament, talking about the tithe, the 10% tithe of the Old Testament. And the challenge was, give 10%, and what was left unsaid was, um, but very much understood, was the 90% is yours. And so greed was never really dealt with unless, of course, it was time to build a building. And materialism was not really dealt with. And the heart of the matter was not really dealt with. It was more of tithe, give your 10%. Okay, and we heard stories of people that gave 11% and 15%. Seven years ago, almost to the Sunday, uh, my wife and I, and um, I think Amy Catherine, I can't remember who else in our family, went to an all-middle to fairly upper-class African-American congregation in Memphis. Uh, we had yet to um, start worship service here, and we were visiting a number of churches. And it was like the week of the presidential election, um, and right before Obama was voted in. And I will never forget that Sunday. It was God's providence that we landed at this church on that Sunday. It felt like a democratic convention. I mean, there were flags. There was the, you know, it was unbelievable. And what was being taught and what was being culturally, the the cultural assumptions in that all African American um, church was that, of course, God would vote democratic. God is more liberal than conservative. And I thought, this is exactly what's going on on the other side of town, but it's, it's just a different message. It's a different party. And it was this eye-opening reality that none of us have it right. And God's not Democrat nor Republican. God is God. <laughs> 
God's not conservative and or liberal. He's actually conservative and liberal. He's much more conservative than you've ever dreamed about. He's more conservative than you want him to be, I promise you. And he's much more liberal than you want him to be, I promise you. He demands more from us, and yet he gives more to us. Isn't that crazy? And so, as I came to this topic, I've realized that we have to use the scriptural verbiage. And the scripture talks about generosity. The scripture talks about sacrificial giving. It, 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 it lifts up examples of those who, even to their own detriment, those, as Chris is going to deal with this passage next week, those out of their extreme poverty gave, gave liberally. That breaks every category. It's beautiful. But I've been wrestling this week, even to the point of changing it this morning, the, con- or the definition of generosity. What is a biblical definition to generosity? And here's what I've come up with. It's the virtue of giving without demanding anything in return in light of all God has given and continues to give, expecting the blessing and freedom that only can come from God from the idolatry of money. That's a long definition. Here's where I'm trying to go with this. In the white church, the white evangelical middle upper class church, and I know these are broad categories, and there's maybe some in here, I'm sure there's some in here that have had different experiences than me. Okay, so I acknowledge that. But in at least white, reformed, upper, middle-class church, it is unbiblical to, to think that we should expect anything from God when we give to God. Um, and yet, in black church, it's you probably never heard sermons about giving without this whole reality of when you give, you are blessed by God. Am I, am I right on that? Okay. So, what's the deal there? Here's the deal. We don't give to God in order to get the blessing of money, but we do give to God, and when we do, we get blessed. And it's not necessarily with money, although, yes, God is the provider of $1, and He's the provider of $130 million. God provides everything we have. He is the provider. But the ultimate blessing that we should look to God for is this this whole power of being freed from slavery to money. That's the blessing. Acts 20.35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And everybody says, yeah, right. We don't believe that. And yet what God is inviting us to is through the power of the gospel to be freed into a life that is better than the life that we are caught in right now. 
If it's a life of being freed to work for different reasons, to get money for different reasons, to spend our money from, for different reasons, then we think we really want to or should. You know, real freedom, and I think that's what um, Paul is getting at in verse 19 of this First Timothy passage where he says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is what? Truly life. So what God is saying is, if we can be free from the pursuit of wealth, If we can be freed from being eager for money, then we're going to find more life than we would get if we attain all of the money in the world. That that freedom, what we're really after, freedom and fulfillment and identity is found. He offers that, but it's not in pursuing wealth, but it's in actually giving wealth away. It's being so free that you don't need to be wealthy. Wow. Wow. 2 Corinthians 9.7, Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. And so when we say those kind of verses, then the very first thing we think is, oh man, am I cheerful enough? And that's not the point. God loves a cheerful giver, why? Because a cheerful giver has come, it's the fruit, it's the evidence that he has found the hidden treasure. And that is that Jesus came and lived and died to make Him God's treasure. Do you see it? When we understand that God has singled us out for salvation, that God has ripped us away from sin and death, that that God has done everything that, that we sang about this morning that we got so excited about and we were applauding about, when we understand that that is real wealth, then yes, we are free to give cheerfully. We're going to talk more about that here in a minute. So the question is, are you generous? Not are you given enough. Are you generous? That's what God wants to make us. He wants to make us generous. So as we get into this this morning, I want to, instead of diving in, I mean, we're going to kind of put our toe in. I'm going to give us a couple of things before we get deep into the text. And the first is this, that having money is not sin. In fact, the more money you have, the more you can give. And I've been around a while, and what I've realized is there are some people that can just make money. I'm not one of those people. (laughs) I wish I was. I stand in awe. I mean, genuinely, God has gifted some people to make money. There are people in this room I could point out right now that just make money. It's unbelievable. I don't think they work any harder than I work, but they just they make money. Money's not a sin. Paul says the love of money is power to produce all kinds of evil and sin. Although it's not sinful to have money, there are very few of us Let me say it like this. For very, money does not bring out the best in most of us. 
And I think that's what Paul is saying here. The love of money is power to produce all kinds of evil. And let me give you the point here. I've been in ministry for over 25 years, and I have never had anybody call me and say, Richard, I want to meet for coffee and confess to me the sin of greed. Not one person. I've never had one request for a support group for greed. That should say something to us. We can't talk about money. Money and wealth is untouchable. And if we do talk about it, then we're building a building or we're telling people that if we give, God's going to give them a whole lot more so it's a, you're going to get wealthy. We have to do it in a, a manipulative or, an un, well, or a different way, and that is promising prosperity financial prosperity. But money is not sin. Two, as Americans, we need to understand that we're all wealthy. Now, go with me here. I'm not saying there's no poor among us, all right? Hear me. I'm going to make some qualifications as we go. But I read a Forbes article that was produced in June of 2013, and it really put American poverty into perspective. Uh, It read this, even if you're stuck in the bottom 5% of the United States income distribution, your standard of living is about equal to that of the top 5% of Indians, those who live in India. Try to get your mind around that for a second. If you are in the bottom 5% of income producing, you know, category in our country, You are as wealthy, your standard of living is like the top 5% of the wealthiest people in India. That's mind-blowing. There are a bunch of people in India. But I say this, and look at this. I think I have a graph. Do we have that graph? Yes, there it is. All right. So 70%, um, our, our poorest demographic in America, 70% are, are richer than um, 70% of the people in Brazil, China, and India. It's crazy. Well, why do I say this? I say this not to shame you if you're in poverty and say, quit your complaining. But I say it for this reason. If the bottom 5% are wealthy, what does that say about the rest of us? The rest of us are stinking, filthy, sloppy, rich compared to the overwhelming majority of people on this planet. And so when the Bible talks about wealthy people, when this passage, I guarantee you, as we began to read this, that many of you, when, when, when we, we read, and for the rich in this present age, verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, 98, 99% of you said, that ain't me. Boy, I hope they hear this sermon. And yet what I'm saying with this is, that's you and that's me. We are the rich. Wow. So, how much is enough? How do you define wealth? Paul tells us, verses 6 through 8. But 
Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. What? Where are those people that are content with just food and clothing? (laughs) They're not in America, I'll tell you that much. And yet Paul is saying... If we have, that we have come in tune with the gospel, we have been freed so much that we literally are content if we just have enough food to wear and clothes on our back. We're the happiest people in the world. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that, literally? Maybe you can imagine this. If that were true about us as Christians today, do you think we would have a different impact on the world around us? Do you see the, the, the transformational power of the community of God when we begin to get in tune with what God has called us to, to be and do? You know, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Man, we're the richest people in the world. And Paul calls us to live and just be content with clothes and food. Not even shelter. Jesus, I told you, he's more conservative and more liberal. But he said, hey, just pray thy daily bread. He didn't say thy daily clothes. Now, of course, we, you know, we span that out and say, well, that just means the necessities of life. And yeah, it probably does, maybe. So what do we do with this? We feel it. Number one, we feel it. Stop discounting what I'm saying. Stop discounting these verses. Stop saying, well, that just can't be, that can't apply to me. I mean, I, stop doing that. I love what John Vinay said in From Brokenness to Community, his little pamphlet. He said, God did not promise To bless those who work with the poor, he promised to bless the poor. And so what he means by that is precisely what Jesus is getting at in the Beatitudes when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So what should we do when we come to this and, and we feel like we're drowning under the weight of the law and the demand of God because we our covetousness and our materialism and our greed is being exposed and we want to punch back? What should we do? We should feel it and realize that before God we are poor people. Because our wealth is not in the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ and His cross. But our true wealth is in what we can acquire in this life. And we're like Ebenezer Scrooge and we're always looking at how much we can amass and and how much we can get and who we use people. Who can, what can you do for me to, to expand my financial kingdom? We need to understand the gospel that none of us are justified By giving enough. Because if any of us could give enough and be just before God, then Jesus would not have to come. He gave Himself. He gave everything for us because we couldn't. 
So now let's talk. Let's get to the sermon. That was a long introduction, wasn't it? Hang with me. Now we're ready to kind of move. Number one, money holds unusually dangerous power. That's really what this text is telling us. Verses 9 through 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Whereas there are many temptations, and money again is not evil, but money seems to to pull out the worst in us, we need to understand that it is a power that Jesus must deliver us from, you can't deliver yourself from. Larry Burkett cannot deliver you from. Who's the other guy? There we go, Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey can't deliver you. So if you're crossing every I and crossing every T and dotting every I with Ramsey, you're still not living in light of the demands of, of Jesus. Unbelievable. But listen to this. We need Jesus. Matthew 19, 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? And that's what we're asking this morning. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. See, salvation is a gift. It's a gift to us all. So I want to look at three dangers real quick. There's danger with money, and here's one of them. One danger of money is to make us feel that we are experts on pretty much everything. Rich people think they know everything about everything. I was in a meeting with about 25 people uh, just a few weeks ago, and we were talking about race. And in that meeting, there were 24 white people and one African-American person. And after about an hour and 15 minutes of roundtable discussion, I realized that no one had directed a question to the only African-American in the room. And it was I was sitting there growing more and more uncomfortable, and uh, this, um, you know... Um, individual, I'm not going to tell you who he was, but he has two Masters of Divinity degrees. Uh, he is a prolific writer, and he's a teacher at a university. And so finally, we get to the point that, I mean, all of these people are sharing their own ignorance and making, I guess, you know, assumptions and so forth. And finally, they directed a question to me, and I said, well, I think Bob would be better to speak into that. And what was going on was I was at a very wealthy church talking about race and everybody around the table thought that they had the answers or could easily get to the answer. And you, you see what Paul says when, when he says, um, tell the rich not to be haughty. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Why? Because money seems to have the power, when it gets into our flesh, to make us think that we're much smarter than we really are. 
And I want you to know that if you are wealthy, and again, all of us in here are wealthy, it is not because you're smart, it's because God is good. Whether you have a dollar, I'll say it again, or $130 million, it is because God chose to give it to you. We talk about white privilege. I want you to know that I got the job that I'm in today. I'm standing before you probably because of white privilege, definitely because of privilege. And everybody involved with it was white, so I guess it's white privilege. (laughs) Nobody else was interviewed for this job. How did I get it? I know people. And apparently I know the right people. If you were where you are, you hadn't gotten there on your own. Now, I could be prideful and say, but I earned it, I planted two other churches, and I... Right. I mean, I did... Yeah. They didn't just go out and find a white dude and... Right, I'm a church planner. But at the end of the day, why did I... Why am I here? It was because someone put me here. I mean, there are some of the dumbest people in the world that have a lot of money. And there are some of the smartest people in the world that are poor as dirt. And there are not many wealthy people that will admit to that. Secondly, danger of money is to make us feel that we pretty much know everything. Secondly, acquiring and maintaining wealth is much harder than giving it away. And what I mean by that is, what I think this passage is saying, it's saying Paul speaks of those who want to get rich and those who are eager for money. And what I think we're we're saying here is it is tiresome to go after money and even when you get it, it's tiresome to keep it. It's much easier just to give it away. Now notice... He's not telling us the script. We've got to put this in context with the rest of Scripture. He's not telling us. He's not, he's not saying don't work hard. Now, see, that's how most of us, that's definitely how Republican, white, conservative people think is that work hard means you make money. There are a lot of people who work hard, who are working one, two, three shifts and not making much money, making minimum wage. That's why we're having the conversation, this ongoing conversation about income disparity. Income disparity. I mean, the top 1% and the... I mean, that's it. Because the, the assumption is, with those working hard, that, hey, that's the reason I have money, because I'm working hard. That's just not true. So the Bible calls us to work hard, but why do we work? We work because we love God. We work because He is the first worker. He is a God who got His hands dirty. He's the only God that that gives us a creation account of getting His hands dirty. He reached in to the earth to form us. He is a working God, and therefore, for us to feel the dignity that we have as image bearers of God, we need to work, and we need to work hard to image Him. There's something deep. We connect with something deep when we work, and we lose something deep when we don't work. But we work for the glory of God, not for our identity and not for our self-worth. And we work for the glory of God and for our neighbor. Listen to Ephesians 4.28. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor 
performing with his own hands what is good. Now why? To prove that he's not a loser? So that he will have something to share with one who has need. How many people in here wake up in the morning and say, Man, I've got to go to work so I can have something to share. That's why we work. We work because we, because we, have, been, um, uh, we have been the objects of God's generosity. And therefore, we want to reflect and be a participant in His generosity. So we want to work not to get more, but to give more. Wow. And then thirdly, another danger of wealth is earthly wealth tends to overshadow heavenly hope. There's a lot of talk in this passage about treasures in heaven. And uh, Paul says, we are not to set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I want you to know that in today, I find very few people who are genuinely longing for heaven. Who genuinely believe that life after this world as a believer is really something that we should be eagerly anticipating. I find very few people, you get, you get cancer, you get, ah, you know, and it, right. I mean, we should want healing. Death is, is not something in God's natural order. It's the curse, and Jesus came to overcome it. But Jesus came to overcome it, and when we die, we go directly into the presence of God, and we are blessed in ways that we cannot fathom. And yet most of us think about heaven like a 13-year-old thinks about family vacation. How many 13-year-olds are excited about family? I would rather do my video games, y'all leave me alone. I'd rather do something with my friends. It can't be fun going to the mountains with my family. And so Jesus says, hey, let's come with me for eternity. We're like, hey, I'd rather have my stuff. I'd rather have my job and my control and my authority and my, I'd rather, I'd rather have my, I'd rather do this over here. Yeah, okay, I know if I have to die, okay, good. It's good to know that I've got, you know, I've got that after death. But heaven, dear friends, what, what, what we're hearing in this teaching is that when, 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 Paul says it's better to give than to receive. What he's telling us is that heaven is going to be a place of extreme generosity. And the fact that you are going to be generous, and it will be a community of generosity, that the giving will never go away. That you're going to be able to give. Everybody's giving. Everybody's concerned about each other. Can you imagine? I can't even fathom that. But yeah, there'll be no more death, there'll be no more uh, crying or pain, but it's, a, it's an extreme place of life and generosity. But we would rather have stuff this side of heaven. I read another article this week called The Death Epidemic in America That No One's Talking About. That got my attention. All right, what's the epidemic that nobody's talking about? It reads... From 1978 to 1998, the mortality rate for U.S. whites aged 45 to 54 fell by 2% per year on average, which matched the average of all industrialized countries. But after 1998, 
Other rich countries' mortality rates continue to decline by 2% a year, but in the United States, white, non-Hispanic mortality rose by half a percent a year, a change that was not found in similar rich countries. Here was their conclusion. The three causes of death of men between white men between 45 and 54, that's kind of at the height of your career. If you went to college, graduated, got a job, rose up through the ranks, their conclusion, the three causes of death that account for the mortality reversal among white non-Hispanics are suicide, drug and alcohol poisoning, and chronic liver disease. Those who are at the height of their career, who are making the most money in their lives, are drinking more than anybody else, killing themselves, and committing suicide. Money will not satisfy us. It is better to give than to receive. So how do we become generous givers? Let me give you a little introduction to that. Being a grandfather is one of my favorite things in the world. Um, It is because I can kind of stand back and watch and and be a part of their lives um, and speak into their lives and and help them, but I don't have the burden of actually raising them. But (laughs) So I get to watch a lot. And one thing that's come to mind as I watch my grandsons as we go to the playground is Braden, who's the oldest, he's gotten into climbing trees. And he'll start climbing a tree on the playground in our neighborhood, and he'll get to a point where he can't go any higher, he's too afraid to go any higher, but what does he do? He doesn't stop. We all know what he does. He yells for me. Hey, Bapa, come over here. All right. Hold my hand. All right. And then we go higher. You see, he is living not in light of his five-year-old resources. He's living in light of my resources. So when we come to talk about generosity and money, I hope you're at a point where you're saying, man, I'm doomed. But no, you're not. Because the beauty of the gospel, the, the curse of religion is, it says, now go sell all you have and give to the poor. And everybody in here walks away dejected like the rich young ruler. And yet Jesus says to us this morning, I've given my life so that you can trust the Father. I've given everything that I am so you can say, man, I'm I'm at the bottom of the tree and I want to go higher, but I can't do it. See, the difference between a child and you is a child is not ashamed to cry out for help. A child is not afraid to say, I'm not strong enough. I'm not big enough. I'm too little, Bennett tells me all the time. And dear friends, that's all it is, is crying out to God and saying, I'm not big enough. You say, I feel silly because I'm a 40 to 50 year old man and I don't feel silly. It just means you you haven't cried out in your life. And maybe it's taken the topic of money to get you to a point where you realize that you are poorer than you thought you were. Hallelujah! That means you are that much closer to freedom. 
Because God invites us to His goodness. He has so much waiting for us, and all we can think about is our career and making money and and purchasing and buying and making our identity what we have and feeling bad about what we don't have. And God says, I am here to free you this morning. Would you come to me? Would you repent of your tiny little faith? And would you hear that, would you see that I'm a father on the side of the playground of your life saying, hey, I'm waiting, just call me. Just say, daddy, daddy, I need you. And then go give some money this week. (laughs) And then open your house to people. And then open your life to people. Start giving your time away and seeing what God does for you. And seeing how God will bless you in ways that you can't even imagine. Dear friends, will you come to Jesus this morning with your greed and with your materialism and with your tiny little faith? And will you trust Him? Now this seems like a perfect setup. Because now we have the tithes and offerings. It seems so self-serving, doesn't it? But it's not, dear friends. I want you to watch this video. And I want us to consider what God is doing in our lives. And I want us to cry out to Him for generosity.